0: As our study of these scriptures now takes us into chapter 4 of this book of Luke, here we're immediately in this book of Luke, in the first verses we are introduced to the most formidable enemy that our souls will ever encounter. And it's that of temptation. Temptation. And we're also introduced to the master tempter, that serpent of old, the devil. As he plies his temptation to the Lord Jesus. And he is an expert at it. And it will do you and I well to pay close attention to these words. Because this greatest enemy of our soul, temptation, is ever and always at work, relentless in its efforts to win our souls over to the wilds and the ways of sin. And remember some of the first words that we've read in the book of Genesis, where God is speaking about sin, he's talking to Cain. He says, Cain, why are you so downcast? Don't you know that sin is crouching at your door Annette desires to have you, but you must master it? Folks, the works of sin, of which temptation is one of those, Those works are relentless in their efforts to win our souls over to sin. And these scriptures are clear as we read through them. In most every instance in which a sin takes place, temptation is at the heart of it. And to make this matter of temptation and sin even more difficult for us, you and I already have a nature that is inclined towards sin, born into us at birth, a sin nature. Because of that, we're almost always tempted. Listen, we're almost always tempted to do a thing that we already have an inclination within us to do. May I say that another way so that it's clear? You and I will seldom ever be tempted to do something that we do not want to do. It's almost always a temptation to do something that we already have that inclination, that desire within us to do. In other words, as those temptations take place, there are almost always two forces at work, both at the same time. One coming from the inside and the other coming from the outside. And both then working together to draw us along a pathway towards sin That we already have a desire to do. That inside force is described for us in James chapter 1. Where temptation is seen to be a step-by-step enticement. Down a pathway that leads us to sin. And then eventually leading us on into spiritual death. Listen to these words from James chapter 1. Verse 14. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Again, there's a natural desire that was born into each of us at birth. A desire that inclines our hearts towards sin. And each of us, without exception, without exception has it. And until you and I receive the salvation that the Spirit of Christ brings to us, And takes away that simple desire. We are powerless to resist it. But, may I hasten to say, as we consider this encounter that Jesus has here with the devil that we'll read about in just a moment. There was no such inborn inclinations present within the Lord Jesus. He was not like you and me. He was not born with a corrupt, sinful nature. As you and I are, he was born pure and holy. And though, as these scriptures tell us, he was tempted in every way as we are, I have no doubt, folks, his temptations were on a whole other level and so much more intense and more powerful than any temptation that you and I will ever experience. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 4 of the book of Luke beginning in verse 1, and I'll read along for us about this temptation. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, If you are truly the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. As we read these words about the temptation of the Lord Jesus, many thoughts and questions begin to flow through our minds. For me, I was first reminded of the experience of Moses as he spent those glorious days on that mountaintop with God, only then to come down into the valley and to find his people taking part in some of the worst kinds of sin. Here, Jesus had just also experienced one of his first mountaintop experiences. And then, almost immediately, he's been led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. For 40 days. That was such a difficult combination of events. But we know well that this is, in fact, the way that daily life very often manifests itself For each one of us. Mountaintop experiences followed by despairing days down in the valley. Jesus, the God of all creation, had come to earth to be just a simple man. And he was. A normal human being, able to experience all of the human frailties and weaknesses that each of us faces every day. And as with us, Satan is ever and always at our right hand ready to wreak his temptations upon us. Jesus' mountaintop experience had begun as he had approached John the Baptist there by the Jordan. And John cried out with great praise, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And then after Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, immediately the Holy Spirit then descended upon him and God the Father's voice thundered out from heaven, declaring him to be his dearly beloved son. Listen to these words, Luke 3, verse 21. And it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Wow, what a blessing, what a blessing. We love a father's blessing. And then here also we begin to see the role that the Holy Spirit will have on this earth. That of filling men's souls with his enabling presence and his power. And then here also we see another part of the blessed role of the Holy Spirit. That of guiding and directing the paths of God's children as they walk on this earth. And as we see here with the Lord Jesus, sometimes... Sometimes those paths will be very difficult. But they're also very necessary. They're necessary, though difficult, for our growth and for our sanctification. Consider these words for a moment. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Folks, over the centuries, these words have been a source of mystery and confusion for many people who read them. Especially as we consider the words given in James chapter 1 that we studied just recently. There in James chapter 1 verse 13, we're told, Let no one say when he's tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor, listen, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So how then can these words be reconciled with the ones that tell us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by Satan? Folks, for me, I personally have no concern that these words might be contradictory with any other scriptures. Here the Holy Spirit's not tempting the Lord Jesus, and neither is he initiating sin within Jesus' heart. This is simply the way of daily life on Satan's sin-filled earth where each person will be confronted at every turn with a temptation to sin. I'm also confident that God is good. He is good. We're told that in Psalm 119. He is good and he does good. In everything, he does good. And that he is righteous and he is holy and he is trustworthy with my soul. Do you believe that he's trustworthy with your soul?
1: And so again, I have no
0: concern that the Holy Spirit was doing anything wrong as he led Jesus there into the desert to be tempted by Satan. He was with Jesus as he went through these temptations. And here, these temptations of Jesus, God is simply revealing to us. And this is something that he does throughout these scriptures. He's revealing the very person of who God is And here he's revealing the holy and righteous heart of our Lord Jesus. How, yes, he was tempted as we're tempted daily. But he remained ever and always without sin. So then, with that being said, I want us to look carefully at these temptations as Satan attempted to work his wiles within the Lord Jesus. And let's begin with a question. Could it have been that Satan was able to look deeply into Jesus' inmost thoughts and desires and perhaps there he saw a weakness and then pandered to that weakness? Because that's what he does with us. That's what he does with us. And I believe that that would have been so with you and me, but with the Lord Jesus, I am certain that it was not the case. That was not the case. He did not look into Jesus' behaviors and his thoughts and know that he had some sinful desires lurking there. Because, folks, as God's only begotten Son, we know that Jesus was born without a sin nature. You might recall that as the angel was talking to Mary there at his birth, the angel called Jesus Jesus. That Holy One of God. That Holy One of God. That means that he was without any form of sin. And so he truly had none of those inmost desires and for power and self and other such things that Satan was tempting him with. So then, if Satan could not invade Jesus' mind to determine his inmost desires and then use these temptations to lure him away from his ordained mission, why did Satan use these particular temptations? May I suggest that these three temptations represented those lusts that Satan himself treasured most. And with that being so, Satan probably rationalized that it would be the same with the Lord Jesus. Remember, Satan is not omniscient. Only God is. Only God is omniscient. Satan had to look into behaviors and guess at what people would desire. Now this first temptation, it reaches out to the weakness of the flesh. Listen again, verse 2. And in those days, Jesus ate nothing. And afterward, when those days had finished, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. While we don't know if Satan himself can experience hunger and other such human kinds of suffering, we do know that the ravages of sin produces many forms of suffering. And Satan was thoroughly ravaged by sin. And so he somehow knew that Jesus was vulnerable to the demands of hunger. But Jesus knew that the need for righteousness was far more important than the need for food. He'd later say to his disciples in John chapter 4, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Self is a... Favorite ally of Satan. Let me say that again. Self, myself, yourself is a favorite ally of Satan. And the need to satisfy self is again a formidable force to reckon with. But God himself is ever and always to be your and my provision. And for a person to reach out and to make his own provision through the strength of his own hands or through receiving it from some other source other than God. It's simple. It is simple, and it will surely receive the just recompense for that kind of behavior. And then, notice also, within this temptation, that Satan introduces this element of doubt. The element of doubt. Jesus had just been told by God the Father that he was his own beloved son. And now here Satan begins his questioning with, if you are the Son of God, that if is intended to produce doubt within the heart of Jesus. And again, real doubt, real doubt is a very serious and powerful sin. Again, the book of James speaks to that very clearly. We must not waver and doubt. The second temptation, the desire for power, for recognition and significance is such a strong force within each of our sinful natures. We want people to think well of us. This desire for power, recognition, and significance was very likely part of that first sin and that sinful behavior of Adam and Eve. And we know from the words in Isaiah 14 that that was true for Satan. Listen to these words describing Satan. This is Isaiah 14 beginning in verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven O day star, son of dawn? How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens above the stars of God and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like The Most High. Satan was filled with the lust for power and position. And he presumed that it would be the same with all men. Listen again. Verse 5. Then the devil taking Jesus up on a high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time. And the devil said to him. All this authority I'll give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you will serve. Now question. Did Satan have the power and the position to give Jesus authority over all the kingdoms of the earth? We don't know the answer to that question for sure. Perhaps he was lying, because Satan is described in these scriptures as being the father of lies. So he may have been lying. But I do believe that Satan has been granted power and authority over this earth. It says so all through these scriptures. He's called the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So I can believe that he has the authority to grant position and power to others. And may I also say that I believe that that is being done right now all over our world, especially with our nations of the world's leaders. That many of Satan's cohort underling demons, they occupy powerful positions within the power structure of this world, filling and possessing and controlling many, many of the corrupt leaders of this world. Folks, a lust for power, for position, for importance and significance is probably more strongly demanding than the de- is for food. It can drive ordinary men and women like you and me to abandon everything else in life. Our wives, our husbands, our children, our friends, and even our own health in order to possess it. Most all men and women I believe it can be said, give in to the temptation for power and position many, many times over the course of their lives. It may be small issues or it may be big issues, but they do it many, many times. And they fail miserably at it. We all fail miserably at it. I have. Satan knew exactly what he was doing with this temptation. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Jesus remained obedient to his Father. Through it all. Now this third temptation. Denying God's sovereign position. And putting him to the test. By arrogant behavior. This takes place in our own souls. More often than we can imagine. Listen again to these words. Verse 9. Then he brought Jesus to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him. If you are the son of God. Throw yourself down from here. For it is written he shall give his angels charge over you. To keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now note here again, this continuing question of if. If you are the Son of God. The clear intention being, again, to produce doubt within Jesus' mind. And notice also that Satan chose the pinnacle of the temple. The house of God as a place for this particular temptation. And in this temptation, as with others, the effect of Jesus giving in to Satan's beguiling would have absolutely, absolutely devastated all that was good and righteous. If Jesus had surrendered to the schemes of Satan, it would have literally ripped apart the Holy Trinity. And it would have destroyed all that heaven stands for. That, folks, was Satan's hope and his desire. But thankfully, thankfully, I'm convinced that that could not possibly have taken place. God is the God of all that is. We may not perceive what that means, but it's true. And it was Jesus himself who created this puny creature named Satan. Have you stopped to consider that? It was Jesus himself who created this puny little creature named Satan. Notice how he flicked him aside in one of these. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus himself created this puny creature, Satan. Listen to these words. This is Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him, listen, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Folks, these words that tell us that Jesus created thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, those are all names that describe puny little demonic creatures like Satan. And puny Satan is powerful and is smart and as clever and as beguiling as he may be, is still an absolute fool when it comes to his understanding of God. And yes, Satan has read all of these scriptures. He knows them from back to front. And he knows how this story ends. He knows that Jesus created him. But still, his arrogant pride is so powerful within him that it blinds him from seeing the real truth of who Jesus is, the Almighty God. Yes, Jesus was tempted. The scriptures tell us that he was. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to quickly and freely say no to Satan's beguiling ways. And that's the message, folks. That's the message that you and I must also receive from these words. It's the very same for us. By our repenting of our sins and receiving Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are no longer controlled by the desires of sin and self. That's a truth. Read all of Romans chapter 6. It tells us so over and over again. We truly can say no almost as easily as Jesus did. Why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us also. And so I encourage each of us to never think that some temptation is too strong. I couldn't help myself, we'll say, too often. And that's whether it be our favorite food, or some tempting immoral behavior, or it's greed, or it's anger, or it's frustration, or it's lust for power, or some other sinful temptation. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, you and I, simply say no. We can simply say no. And I'll close with these words from Romans chapter 6 that tell us that exact precious truth. Listen. This is Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 12. Therefore, this is a command to us, and he gives us commands that we can obey. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Praise be to God. Let's pray.